What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Everything she does. Back off! Is because she never loses sight of what's important. Putting you on a military transport tonight. Hell yes. No one's backing down on either side. We have a bona fide crisis. We'll follow it up together. Get to the truth. I did what had to be done. Sports has been a place for social and political movements. It always has been. This was our moment to let people know how we felt as a team. Welcome back, all the smoke, my brother Jet. And we're back. We're back. We got a special guest today, Jamil Hill Queen. Wallace, right? Uh, yeah, I did change my last name, but professionally, right. I'm still Jamil Hill. Okay, well, Queen. Thank you. Jamil Hill. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. it um, you know, we've been in it for a couple months now, uh, being married, and so far he hasn't wanted to divorce me yet, so okay. I guess I'm off to a good start. <laughs> so how did you guys meet? I heard you both went to Michigan State. Did it start there, or? Yes and no. We both went to Michigan State, but I'm a Cougar, so he is five years younger than me. Okay. So we actually met Look at, at homecoming. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> we actually met at homecoming. Um, I had gone back to Michigan State because I was the Grand Marshal of the homecoming parade, oh, and when you're Grand Marshal, you got to... Shake hands, kiss some babies, walk around and talk to people. And so we were, they were taking me around at different tailgates. And one of the ones they took me to was one I was going to wind up at anyway. It was the Black Alumni Tailgate. Mm -hmm. And I saw a friend of mine that we didn't figure out, obviously, until I met him, that it was also a friend of his. So I'm talking to this friend and he comes walking up and, you know, uh, we're kind of checking each other out and a little flirting going on. And so we kind of left it there. And later that night, I saw him. Uh, at uh, at the Black Alumni Party, um, DJ by MC Light, shout out. Okay, <laughs> and then, MC Light. Yeah, and so uh, we saw each other, and it was one of those things where I was like, now what are the odds that the fine guy I saw at the tailgate would also mm-hmm. be here at the dance? So, 
you know, I did that thing that women do is that I'm sure you gentlemen have been on the receiving end of this, but we'll give you a look like you better bring your ass over here. Right. So I gave him that look. He came over. We talked. And the rest, as they say, is history. The history. Yeah. You had you had all my homegirls at your uh, at the wedding party. I see y'all overseas having a good time. We were, yeah, we had a great time. Um, so some, you know, people you might know, uh, Carrie Champion. Yes. She was one of my bridesmaids, and the bachelorette party, which was a few Ooh, months before. Chantrey. Chantrey. That's my girl. Yep. You know, <laughs> Trigger Trey, as we call her in these streets. Amina Hussein, who. Uh, is uh, Amina, coordinating producer for NBA mm -hmm. Countdown on ESPN. So ESPN was well represented uh, in my bridal party and my bridesmaid or my maid of honor, uh, Kelly Carter, who is a senior entertainment writer for The Undefeated. So we did the wedding, which was incredible. Had Music Soul Child sing me down nice. the aisle, oh, nice. which was great. And then afterwards, we went on a honeymoon for three weeks. So okay, we were gone. Yeah, <laughs> went to Kenya, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and the Maldives. So oh, that's nice. It was um, it was a dream. Wedding, dream, honeymoon, and so we're still kind of riding the high. Good job, Ian. Yeah. Great job, <laughs> bro. Great job. We always kind of hear, obviously, from, from a guy's point of view of, you know, guy being in the spotlight, you're in the spotlight, you have a tremendous platform. How does that dynamic work being married with a, a husband? <laughs> well, it's interesting because... Um, so his nickname became Old Boy. My old, uh, yes. <laughs> old boy. Old boy, right? Because uh, back when I was doing television every day on ESPN, my former co-host, Michael Smith. One shout of out, my, Mike. Yeah, mm -hmm. shout out to him, one of my dear friends. Uh, he nicknamed him that because there was, like early on in our relationship, I tagged him in a photo and put it on Instagram, and he got like a thousand requests. And I was thinking, like, I'd be damn, I had these heifers all up in his head. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I might have sick the wolves on it, right? <laughs> Made Just him dangled hot. the meat right in yeah. front of him. I was like, Made oh, him but not only that, I felt like maybe, and he didn't give me any indication of this, but just me just trying to realize that dynamic you talked about, I wanted to give him some time to kind of get used to that because he didn't sign up to be dating right. somebody who was on TV every day and had a public profile. He didn't sign up for that intrusion it can sometimes make in your mm -hmm. life. So after that, he was just called Old Boy. Nobody knew his name. Mm -hmm. And one of the early tests, if you will, in our relationship was our first ESPYs. So we go to the ESPYs. And matter of fact, um, you know, the ESPYs, you see how that environment is. Mad celebrities, athletes, you know, who's who and all that. And he was just himself. He was just comfortable. Um, he wasn't fanning out. He wasn't acting different. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't act insecure. He didn't like none of that stuff. Like he was just real chill. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah, my this my wife is Jamel here. What you mean? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Well, you know that there's there's upside and downside with right. that. Okay, because again, suddenly you have a, a dual public persona, and it's certainly intensified now that you know we're married. Our our wedding was covered by Essence mm -hmm. and all this publicity. And then once people started to figure out that we were seriously dating, there would be blog posts about who is this dude that she's with and all that kind of thing. But he always handled it well and in stride. He's never, you know, acted funny about it. I've certainly um, not necessarily been in, in full-scale relationships, but I've certainly dated dudes that I could tell it was going to be a problem. And knowing a lot of women who are in television in this industry, they have definitely dealt with that, where it's just... Every dude you can't bring to the SPs. Mm -hmm. Like you just can't you just can't, you right. know, because you have to sit this one out. Right? right, you know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that I'll way. See you, I'll see you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, you know what? Maybe the after party. But even then, you yeah. might not be able to take it to the after tonight. party. You're not SP material. Yeah, I mean, and just from a standpoint is that people have to know how to how to mm -hmm. act in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, he always was just, you know, he always batted a thousand when it came to that. So I knew, you know, it would work. And he, you know, he, he never tripped about, um, especially being in this business, unfortunately, your salary, whether true or not true, is always made public. Mm -hmm. And so it was never a thing where if somebody joked and called him Stedman or something like that, like, he didn't give a damn about that or whatever. Stedman living good. Look, Stedman there's a lot of dudes good. that would trade yeah. a place. Pretty much Stedman 99% of y'all would trade a place and be with Stedman, where Stedman mm -hmm. is right now. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Jay yeah. said he wanted to kiss Oprah. So I, did. <laughs> I never said that. I never said that. You know what? I've never said that. Never? I never said that. No. <laughs> I've like, never wait, said that. I've never said that. All right, now. Nah. <laughs> That's, so That's so full of shit, man. Matt is so full of shit, man. He's so full of shit. You know, Oprah got a hive, man. You better be careful. Mm, she damn near single-handedly shut down the beef we industry. Go, I'm going so to keep saying one name. Uh -oh. Regina Hall. Uh, that's, what? That's your celebrity crush? Man, come For on. For real? Man. Regina, you see this. Okay. I'll put in a good word. <clears throat> I put in a good word for you. Yeah, I heard that. It's on camera. Gotcha. All right. Oh, have mercy. <laughs> so where did your your uh, journalism journey start? Uh, well, it started really young. Um, most times, you know, growing up, you change professions uh, or things you think you want to do multiple times. You know, one week you might want to be a fireman, the next week you might want to be something else. But I always wanted to do this, and I had a love of sports very early on. It always came very naturally. I don't remember ever not loving sports. So I was like the neighborhood tomboy and, you know, out there playing baseball and football, flipping off garages with the guys and, you know, just kind of hanging out. And when you're the girl in a company of like little boys or whatever, they're going to always try to try you. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So when people would ask me years later, how is it that you're at this desk with this athlete and this man and you just are comfortable and hold your own? I was like, well, it goes back to, you know, growing up in Detroit in the hood, it's like, y'all ain't going to take it easy on me just because I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. So... I learned, you talk about my mama, I'm talking about your mama right back. You know, you learn to roast and go back and forth. And so I was always comfortable um, being in that, like, sort of environment with boys and, and men. So I played a lot of sports, and I also loved to read. I was a voracious reader, had a library card, loved to write, um, wrote poetry, short stories. Oh, you used your library card? I, I, I get a, a library <laughs> We all had one. <laughs> I get a library <laughs> card in every city I live in. I was thinking about, I was like, damn, I did have a library oh, card. Oh, I had I one. Yeah. Stay crisp and clean. <laughs> it's one. not worn, huh? <laughs> not, not a mere mark yeah, on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, and no then way. especially, you know, you had to, that Dewey Decimal system to get the books. Mm, like, it was, it was a whole process. Nah, it was a whole no. process was that all... we don't know nothing about. Hey, <laughs> what, 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 what they call stuff when you put the plastic over to make sure you don't break the library card? What's that called? The laminate. The laminate. I even did that and still didn't use it. <laughs> Lemonade. Looking fresh as all get out. I bet your notebook was yeah. clean. A one. A one. Well, I was a I was a nerd, so I I love to read, and I just had this love of language. And in high school, I took a a high school journalism class uh, where I essentially wrote for the school paper, and it kind of started there. And the way that papers are high school papers were produced in Detroit then is. You, uh, they put a special insert in in the Detroit Free Press where once a month you could read all the high school newspapers in the city because okay. they gave everybody one page. Oh, so we had cool. to go to a professional newsroom to uh, put our paper together. So the moment I walked in the newsroom, it was like love at first sight. I was like, oh, these people are crazy. They're like running around. It was all this energy. And just the idea of being able to make a living covering something that I participated in and loved to watch, it just seemed like, hey, this is one plus one equal two. So I couldn't do math. I was terrible at science. 
So literally, there was nothing else I was meant to do uh, but this. They always ask you the old guidance counselor question. You know that you love it and have a passion for it if it's something you would do for free. Like y'all would play, ba- mm-hmm. y'all did play basketball right, at one point right, for free, right. right? And so I felt the same way about writing and journalism. And I never expected to be on TV. That was never in the plan. I just wanted to write for newspapers. My dream job was actually to work at Sports Illustrated because when I was, was coming it, up, that was, was the it magazine. right there. Yeah. Working for the magazine and writing cover stories. Like I wanted to do that. And eventually I wound up at ESPN. And um, when I saw how them checks look differently when you mm. on TV, yeah. that's when I made the decision like, you know what? This TV thing ain't bad after all. So it's just been an evolution. But at the base of it, I still do, you know, all the things that I did as a writer. We talk to people, have good conversations. Hopefully they tell you something they didn't know, give you some insight and some introspection and put history and what's happening now in the context for other people. So it just hasn't changed. It's just the methods are different because of technology. I think you touched on it a little bit, but tell us more about your upbringing, which made you someone who can hold your own, someone who is outspoken, someone who's not afraid to hold her tongue. Tell me about your your childhood. Well, um, in addition to you know being a, the neighborhood tomboy, I think another big component why some of the you know, challenges and just obstacles you'll generally face just being black in America, being a black woman in corporate America and making your way in media is that, you know, when you grow up and, um, you know, we we all food stamps for a good bit of my childhood, grew up poor. My parents are both recovering drug addicts. Uh, so I saw a lot growing up. And so um, some of the problems I would face later, I could put them into perspective because, you know, I used to, I make this joke all the time, especially when it came to the controversy I had with the president. And it's true. It's like, you know, Donald Trump tweeting me and, and saying that I should be fired and the White House calling for me fired is like literally the 600,000th worst thing that's ever right. happened to me. Like, it wouldn't even make the top 10. <laughs> so it's like, I right. give a damn about a tweet. Like, right. all right, cool. Right. Thanks for putting uh, my name in your mouth. Appreciate right. it. Yeah, Appreciate the high. extra million Hope followers. Hope it tastes like that. shit. <laughs> right, right, straight up. Straight up. So it's just <laughs> like, that was not, um, it was certainly created some adverse situations. Uh, for me as a result, but it was just, it's nothing compared to, um, you know, seeing your mother go through, you know, rehab or seeing your, your dad still have uh, heroin marks on his, on his arm and, um, and his fingers and stuff. Like it's nothing compared to that. Real life experience. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, thankfully, uh, by the grace of God, they both, they've been, you know, in recovery for a long time. So that hasn't been an issue in a while. But the fact of the matter is, is that coming from that environment, this other stuff is just like, yeah, it's hard, but it ain't that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it ain't that. You know, Not even it's close. Like, it ain't even close. So I think having that perspective has allowed me to not only approach this work with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, it's also as whatever accolades come, when people love me, don't love me, hate me, whatever it is, I can kind of keep it all level because of some of the things that I've been through. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. That's why. That's why I really want to know about your upbringing because I was telling them earlier. As athletes, we always get interviewed and asked of how we bring, how we was brought up, and the first thing we say, man, we grew up in the hood, we grew up poor, but we never hear that from women. Mm. And and we go through the same thing. I start, it's the same thing. We just don't hear it from women, so it's good to hear that from you because y'all go through the same things. The the struggles in the ghetto is the same for what what male and women. It surely you know is. what I'm saying. So it's good to hear that from you because women don't get to tell their side of how they grow up and how growing up poor and the struggles affected them. Yeah. But it made you tougher and, and it's how it's shaped, easy. and how it shaped them. And it's yeah, exactly. It's easy to mm-hmm. see why you can carry yourself yeah. in a room full of men because of your, it's easy to see that. Yeah, I mean it is important that um, people understand that. You know, the cycle and the shame that comes with poverty, it's just, it's really pervasive. And uh, men and women may process it differently and may make us act and behave as adults in different way, but we're still left with the same generational trauma. Right. I mean, me and my husband, uh, we often joke, because he's also um, from the city of Detroit, um, and while, you know, economically he was a little bit better than me, we still grew up in the same kind of environments. And that is one of the things that we kind of can relate to uh, with each other. But we talk about it all the time about having hood PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and we live, uh, you know, in a good part of L.A. And um, yet <laughs> I see him do certain stuff. I'll be like, babe, we don't. We're not there we're no not more. We're not there we no good. more. Yeah. He'll be like, we're I'm good. sorry. It's just, right? right? It's just, it's just like, it's just ingrained, <laughs> you know, certain habits. And that's yeah. not to say you should never keep your hood senses, or I like to call them, yeah, like spidey senses, like hood mm-hmm. senses about you. But it's amazing um, the things that you grow up in, how you normalize it. Then you realize later as it's an adult, you'll be like, damn, that was fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit is that not shit normal at all. Um, but we make it look, we make it look. We do. And, man, we make it look like it's nothing. Well, that's kind of when we get, because I mean, similar background, both my parents were, were, you know, were addicted to drugs at a young age and, and I seen it in front of me. You know what I mean? So, and then face racism and, be, and being biracial. So by the time I'm getting to, NBA and I'm, my shit's on TMZ and whatever. And then furthering that, like in this corporate world, like there's nothing you can show me that's bigger than what I've already dealt with. You know what right. I mean? So that's why we handle it gracefully. We handle it with ease. We do it our way. But they also don't understand. And I think it takes somebody from that background to get it, um, especially talking to you two gentlemen, is that 
you both came into sudden money and sudden fame, mm -hmm. right? Um, to some degree, I did too, though m much later than you all did. You did when you were young. There's no blueprint for that. No, like when you all. guys coming from where you came from, and then suddenly you have all this stuff. People don't understand that that's an adjustment period. Like you have mm. to learn on the fly, and there's nobody to teach you how to do it. They say experience is the best teacher. What is true? But you 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 fall a lot doing those experiences, trying to learn. You go through a lot of frustration and ups and downs trying to get through it, but experience is the best teacher, and that's normally how we learn through our own fuck-ups. Well, we don't, don't get yeah. taught. I mean, I know personally, like, for my first four or five years, by the end of every summer, I was broke. Mm -hmm. wow. You know what I mean? Wait oh, no, but, first... yeah, no question. What, because of family? Cause no, of uh, a little bit just of both, not, but just not having it and not knowing not what knowing. to do with it. Like, I got a bunch of money right now, and I got a bunch of homeboys, and I got family. family like, I want to do everything fun. for them at one time. Mm. Mm -hmm. I want to do everything. I want to take care of everybody at one time. And like you said, from having nothing to having this, you're not knowing that, okay, it's going to run out one day. Mm -hmm. But you have people in your life, you know, somewhere six six years of your career, seven years, whatever, they might come to you and be like, look, bro, enough is enough. Some people don't have that, and that's the ones that end up broke. You know what I'm saying? But as all athletes, a lot of us, we have to learn from experience. We don't get taught nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, coming from the, our backgrounds, it makes us strong enough to deal with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And people don't understand that. Walk us through the, the path to finally getting to ESPN. Yeah, it was um, it was very accidental, and um, <laughs> it was very it was it was very accidental. It's it's two people I could think, or one person I could think, and one phrase I could think. I could think Willis McGahee and the word baby mama. Willis McGahee. I got to ESPN. So when I was in Orlando, I was a columnist there, and it was my first columnist job, and. I think uh, I often like to give athletes, especially black athletes, I need them to sometimes understand the full scope of what the media looks like. Y'all can tell when y'all in the locker room for sure mm -hmm. by who's covering you. But at that point, I was the only black female columnist at a major daily newspaper, at a daily newspaper, excuse me, in North America. Notice I didn't say America, North America. Mm -hmm. I was one out of 305. And, you know, that that picture is has a lot to do with frankly the reason that black athletes are covered the way that they're covered. So I'm the singular one. And so a lot of the things I wrote, it would get a lot of attention just because there was nobody else in the country that was doing what I was doing. And I created this idea to do this series called Riding With, where it was very basic. I get in the car with an athlete, we ride around, I ask them some questions, they answer, fun for everybody. Boom, we sticking in the paper. Real simple. Willis McGahee was the first person that I got to agree to do this series with me. And I'm in the car with him, and it's a videographer, a photographer in the back, and, you know, we're just shooting the shit. And <laughs> I just asked him because I knew he uh, he had a couple kids by different mothers, and I was just like, I was like, hey, Willis, what do you think would be worse, having a wife or a baby mama, right? And he gave some funny answer, and it was hilarious. Wound up making the paper. And then it got picked up by some blogs because they were like, Willis Begay, he goes in on baby mama because he did go in on his baby hey, mama. Shit, that's, that'd be my answer too. Yeah, right. He, <laughs> he went in, like for sure. It was funny, but he did go in. And, you know, there was no outrage, but it just got picked up. And the paper I was working for, they weren't really used to that kind of viral traffic necessarily. Mm -hmm. And for something like that, you know, going viral. So next thing I know, I'm getting called into... Uh, essentially the principal's office and the editor, <laughs> uh, an older white lady, was livid. Mm -hmm. She had never heard the term baby mama. So she was like, how dare you put this in the paper and this is beneath our standard. I was like, the word baby mama. Again, this is a testament to how white newspapers generally have yeah. been and still are. So I'm like, man, if I get fired over the word baby mama, this is going to be some shit. You know, it was kind of crazy. So 
But that was the column because it went viral that an executive at ESPN noticed. Mm. And at the time, uh, Skip Bayless was moving on from writing uh, for ESPN.com. He was going to work on a show called Cold Pizza, which became mm -hmm. First Take. Right, yeah. And so uh, it just so happened this editor that saw my stuff, at e or not this editor, this executive at ESPN that saw my stuff knew a friend of mine. And so that friend um, linked us up. And we went to dinner. The executive's name was Keith Cleanscales. He he said, hey, do you want to come and interview? Because we need a general columnist for ESPN.com. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you'd be perfect for it. Just come up to Bristol. So I said, all right, cool. So I go. And I got the job. And so that's why I said as well as McGay and Baby Mama, they got me into ESPN. I, ESPN was never my destination. Probably because I thought of it as a TV property. But... I originally went there as a writer. I did not go there to do broadcast. So I just was going to be writing columns and I would make some occasional TV appearances. And sometimes ignorance is not just bliss, but ignorance is helpful. And by that, I mean this. When I first started doing TV, appearing on like Outside the Lines and then started doing Cold Pizza slash First Take, um, I didn't take it very seriously because I'm like, TV, who cares? You know, mm -hmm. um, print reporters thought that way of TV at that time. It was like Bloods and Crips. What, like, year, what, what year was This it? would have been 2006. <clears throat> so 2006 is when I got to ESPN. And so early part of 2007, when I'm starting to do a little bit more TV, because, you know, the reason why on Around the Horn you see so many columnists or former columnists is because we generate opinion. And so they want to put people on TV mm -hmm. who have things to say. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I didn't take it seriously at all. And I was thinking, I, that's why it allowed me to always be myself on TV, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. So I'm just on there kicking it as far as I'm concerned. And I guess it kind of worked. And next thing I know, um, other shows started to call, too. And I'm on Jim Rome is Burning and then uh, uh, Sports Reporters Around the Horn. And so I was just going through the cycle. You guys know how it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, being there where you're on one show and next thing you know, you're on 50 shows. Mm -hmm. And so I look up a couple years into my deal and TV is literally 50% of what I do. And the thing that made me realize that this is something I needed to put all of my energy to into, um, there were a lot of changes going on at ESPN.com. That was one part of it. The other part was Matt Lauer got paid uh, in my first or second year at ESPN, and he got $25 million a year. And I'm like, they actually would pay somebody on TV that much money? Who? Uh, you know, Matt Lauer, man. He was <laughs> making bank. And I just, then I started doing a little more research and just, Picking up, uh, you know, uh, some conversation at the water cooler when I, whenever I would go to Bristol, because at that point I didn't have to live there full time, and I was just like, man, people really on TV making millions of dollars. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, now my focus must shift. Mm -hmm. So I just made a financial decision. It was something I was already comfortable with. So you know, why not try to pursue it, you know, full time? And that led into, in part. Um, Mike and I linking up because we he got to ESPN maybe a year or two before I did, um, but we met when we were both print reporters. But that led to us linking up and creating his and hers, and then Sports Center, and the rest, as they say, is history. Tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. uh, your guys's launch together with the uh, with the six o'clock. Well, um, you know, it, it is it, it's a great lesson just in the sense of uh, it goes along with grass is not always greener. And also goes along, sometimes you don't know how good you have it till it's already gone. Mm -hmm. And 
when we got the promotion to Sports Center, one is it wasn't one that we asked for. They came to us and asked us to do the six o'clock Sports Center. We were having a lot of fun doing his and hers, doing all kind of crazy shit you shouldn't be putting on TV. Oh my goodness! Was <laughs> the, 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 the Friday or the Boys in the Hood? The boys thing? in the Hood. Yeah, boys yeah. in the Hood. I, look, still, I'm sure I'm we the only do person. That, we want to do that skit. We want to do some skits with you too okay, for the look, podcast. I'm in. I'm all in. Right, all right, right. No, that's dope. Let that's me know. Dope. I got my sad card and everything. Right. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean we it, it, being on at noon at ESPN two during that time because it was Mike and Mike first take then us, and at one point it was Sports Nation. And uh, highly questionable. So it was branded as the opinion, kind of fun network within the ESPN, you know, family. Then so you went to the major leagues. Though. That was the only <laughs> the only fun show. Though. Everything else was just straight ahead sports. Y'all nah, show was we fun. To go crazy. Yeah, yeah. y'all show was fun. Yeah, I, I still I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in ESPN history to ever drink a forty on TV. That by was far. a real forty. By far. Okay? By Always, far. I was like, I made a, <laughs> what is it, production You're a legend for that alone. Class. Man, I was like, go to the store. I need a real yeah, forty. Come on, man. Because I gotta sell this, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah, so we were in our creative space. They let us do whatever we wanted, and the audience like really loved it. Mm-hmm. It drew the attraction. Of the folks that run Sports Center, they were looking at that time to kind of shake up Sports Center a little bit, make it more personality branded. They started mm-hmm. with SVP, giving him his yeah, own Sports yeah. Center, and so now they wanted to try to recreate that, but recreate it at six o'clock. So we go from um, Studio N. I'm not gonna tell y'all what we used to say N stood for, but y'all can guess. <laughs> <laughs> so we were from Studio N, which we used to affectionately refer to as the projects, because it's like a box, <laughs> makeshift desk. We in there selling tapes out the trunk, you know, getting this daily TV grind on. Studio N was the Carter. Yeah. <laughs> we was the Carter of purpose, right? Yeah, All I'm missing is the lookout yeah. on the roof. That's that was it. Chris Rock. That's it. So, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, but we, again, we were given total creative freedom and autonomy. We go from that to a $17 million studio across campus in the new building, the digital center, and it's got all the bells and whistles, super mm-hmm. fancy. Overnight, our staff triples. We got all this. We got commercials. Um, we doing a media tour, like all the stuff we said we wanted for his and hers, and it's like, boom, here it is. Worst job I ever had at ESPN was doing a 6 o'clock sports center. I was like, sometimes, you know, things are just not what you think they're going to be. The, you know, SportsCenter is a legacy brand. It's the mm-hmm. it's ESPN's baby. Mm-hmm. They care about they if they don't care about shit else. They care about SportsCenter, Sports right? No question. It, it is what built the network, literally. But it was not a fit for me at all because one, you know, it was a lot more people that had a lot to say about our show, and they didn't know what the fuck they was talking about, and that was a problem, mm-hmm. right? So creatively, we're used to being able to have our own mm-hmm. space and autonomy. And frankly, we had earned that right. Right. And suddenly, it's like, uh, as Mike used to say all the time, we got all these cooks in the kitchen and don't nobody know how to make a meal. Mm-hmm. And it was it was tough. So from before the first launch of the show uh, happened, the first show uh, launch happened, it's like we were having a lot of creative issues. And those continued and persisted as we tried to figure out what exactly this show is. Uh, we rushed on the air. I mean, we started the day after the Super Bowl, which is good because your ratings are going to be phenomenal. But at the same time, when we started, we just didn't know what the show was. We had not been given the, the proper time to figure that out. You know, Scott Van Pelt, I mean, he probably got six months or more. I, I think I'm probably underselling. I think he got more time than that to figure out what that was. Mm-hmm. Even when they did Get Up, Greedy Show, they got a lot of time 
to figure out what it was before it hit air. And anybody in television will tell you what you are on day one versus what mm -hmm. you are a year later. Totally, totally different. different yeah. I'm sure even now this podcast mm -hmm. is different Each than the time, first one that you did. Definitely, right? Definitely. That's just the evolution of how it works. But we got caught up in some really unfortunate drama that had nothing to do with us that was going on surrounding the narrative of ESPN. I mean, at this point, um, uh, ESPN was about to experience their first layoffs in like God knows how many years. It might have been their first layoffs ever. And downside, and you not you guys know what this feels like when your salary's put out there. People have a lot to say about what it is, mm -hmm. and they were laying off people. People knew what our salary was, and suddenly it became Mike and Jamel. Mm -hmm. Why y'all playing these two clowns and laying off all these people at ESPN? And not to mention there was this bubbling narrative that ESPN was too political and too liberal, which frankly didn't start until more black people started getting shows and mm. more women, and mm. they started becoming the face of the network. Then mm. that shit started. Right. And so we became the poster children for everything that was going wrong at the network, and this is in our first couple months. If you go back and look at some of the shit that was written about us, I mean, not only was some of it racist, but it was just like we were just caught up in this this narrative of bad headlines that we just could not get from up under. So all this is happening. And then, of course, you know, kind of the big explosion is when the, the Trump stuff happened. And even though uh, I eventually left SportsCenter, I didn't leave SportsCenter because of Donald Trump. I left SportsCenter because I wasn't happy. And that happened before mm -hmm. uh, that situation ever even materialized. Mm, mm, mm. The intra workings, I think, I mean, I explain to people like, you know, you look at ESPN, how you kind of look at Nike, you know what I mean? Like they're a, they're a set brand, you know, so what happens in there, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes political, sometimes bullshit, sometimes race, but at the same time, it's just a constant cycle of whatever is going to happen, almost the next man up kind of mentality, you yeah. know what I mean? So it may not always be, you know. Carrie, she she announced she's leaving. Like, why would she leave ESPN? You know, to 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 better herself, to spread her wings, to kind of really fully be her and, and be unfiltered. Because people don't realize how to the book you have to be at ESPN. Yeah, I mean, it's, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a massive platform, and they have their hands in a lot of different stuff. And it's no question, you know, from a media standpoint, it's the biggest brand in sports, and it's you know one of the biggest brands. Uh, period. Mm -hmm. The Nike comparison is, is is very appropriate. But even within that, there's a lot of limitations. And, you know, Carrie, I think she just kind of reached her ceiling. Um, and it's a ceiling that, you know, frankly, wasn't one she created. Mm -hmm. And she knew that. And there's so much more she's capable of and can do. And so it was time to go. And for a lot of people, it's a destination job. But everybody's not destined to be there long term. Right. And I certainly fit that category because when it was time for me to leave, I felt like it was, I had done everything there. I've been there 12 years. Mm -hmm. It's the best job I ever had, longest job I ever had. The journalist I was the day I came to campus in November in 2006 is not the journalist I left as in a good way. I, I grew more versatile. All those things happened. But... There was only so much I could do there, and I wanted to be able to create in other spaces. Um, ESPN is a very possessive company. They're not going <laughs> to let you sit around here and do a bunch of work for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And certainly given that the network was cracking down about uh, anchors and people in commentary, having commentary outside of sports. Mm. Touch I, on that. I, I mean, that's because that's to, 
SportsCenter is the platform. And then when you start talking about stuff other than sports that's still relevant to a lot of us, the fact that you're a black woman talking about it. Yeah. Well, it was it was crazy because uh, we got accused of doing that a lot on SportsCenter. We never did. I mean, we only talked about it when it made sense with the intersection of sports. New developments on Colin Kaepernick. Um, you know, league business, like things that kind of made sense because they were in the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The interesting thing is we were way more, if you want to say crossing the line with that when we were on his and hers, but it was received differently because I think the audience is different. The six o'clock audience for SportsCenter, SportsCenter audiences, period, are trained to see highlights. They're trained to watch, okay, this is the news of the day and Mm. that's what I want to hear about. But his and hers was a commentary show where we talked about whatever. I mean, we we had like a 10-minute conversation on air about Philando Castile when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Trayvon Martin. I mean, we we talked about all these issues because, real frankly. Real shit. Yeah, real shit. And mm-hmm. athletes were talking about Come them, on, too. Yeah. Uh, they didn't like that. They Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, I know it made a lot of networks probably uncomfortable. But when you have LeBron James and the Miami Heat wearing hoodies. Uh, because they are so affected by this, uh, what happened to Trayvon Martin, the fact that, you know, you guys have kids and you're well off and you know you live in good neighborhoods and if your child is walking down the street and they don't know that's Matt Barnes' child mm-hmm. or that's your child, mm-hmm. it might be some shit if the police mm-hmm. roll up or if a neighbor sees them in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So all the guys could relate to what happened and just growing up, we've seen those cases a thousand times. A million times. Right. So we thought it was pertinent to talk about but there was this bubbling sentiment. Um, some of it came from fans. Some of it came from inside the building. Is that they didn't want those messy intersections to be discussed. Now, for me, I'm all about the messy intersections, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I didn't. ESPN is going to be who they are, and I needed to be who I am. Right. And so I, I felt like I was missing out on a lot of conversations because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there were certain things I couldn't talk about with the honesty, the brutal mm-hmm. honesty in which they needed to be discussed. Yeah, I don't want to compromise shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing at all. No. And, you know, keeping it all the way real, when you have enough money, you can do that. Right. You can right. make that decision. Right. And so um, when I left in, in September of, of 2018, I went to the Atlantic with a very purposeful mindset is that they are a political magazine. They... Um, loved my writing and they wanted somebody who wanted to cover the mess of sports Mm -hmm. and that's what I wanted to write about and ESPN is in a different position I mean they're in partnership with a lot of the leagues that Mm -hmm. they cover Mm -hmm. and so you know it's certain things that they're not going to be able to say I mean nobody from the corner office ever came down to me and said, hey, you can't say this about the NFL or this about mm-hmm. the NBA, but as they, as the old adage goes, what's understood need not be said. Right. And so um, it, with that business relationship, you just, with certain subjects, you kind of had to walk a fine line. Well, when, when, now I don't have to worry about when, that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but one thing about ESPN, what I've picked, learned, like, is they pick and choose of what they wanted, what bullshit they want to deal with. Perfect, perfect <laughs> example. With me, I used to post a lot of shit on my social media. That I that I heard that higher ups didn't like, but as soon as I get into an argument with with Wiggins and his family and it's beneficial for the station, they take it off my feed and throw it all over all the shows. So I didn't like that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't support the shit that you want to support. You know what I'm saying? Support me full time, and that's one thing I didn't like about it. everything wasn't genuine there. Yeah, um, it it is. It, it's definitely 
some of the the criticism you might receive internally and some of the things that may happen, it's arbitrary. It's on a mm -hmm. case by case basis. Mm -hmm. um, as you said, when some things are beneficial to the network, it's fine. When they're not, it is what it is. I mean, I I couldn't help but notice um, during the uh, national championship game between uh, you know LSU and um, and uh, Clemson. Clemson. I've just blanked on their name. They, of course, showed the president, mm -hmm. right? Right. And some commentary there, or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. What happened to sticking to sports? Right. <laughs> you right. Know? Exactly. I mean, exactly. and not saying that, and I get it. It's like a president goes to a game. It's it's a it's a thing. But I was thinking to myself, I wonder if Colin Kaepernick were in the building watching the game. Would they have ever shown a camera shot of Colin Kaepernick? Probably not. Probably not. You no, know? Ain't, ain't no problem. They wouldn't. They probably wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't want to be in that stadium. <laughs> so Knowing he in there. And the thing is, if you're going to address and talk about Colin Kaepernick, you have to talk about why he's kneeling. Mm -hmm. What is he protesting? Mm -hmm. And when you start getting into those issues, people start sweating. People get real uncomfortable. And even with some of the things that Donald Trump said about NFL players and moms and, and right. I mean, you gotta you have to go there. And I think under the political climate in this country, it just put ESPN in a very tough position. And it's been some awkwardness. I mean, I think it's been some uh positives and some fails on their part. So uh I'd just be real curious to see how they adjust if there is a new president or furthermore how they have to kind of double down on what they've been doing with being very cognizant and restrictive about their personalities talking about politics and even in some instances when sports and politics mix allowing them to stay in certain gray areas mm -hmm. so as not to offend and you know this you can't have no kind of real conversation mm -mm. if you worry about who's gonna mm -mm. be offended mm -hmm. it cannot That's happen really speak yeah uh, they, almost, donald trump that was some selfish shit though because i know a lot of times my homeboys be on the run and they, their kids having birthday parties, they don't go because they don't want the fans to catch them at their kids' party. Mm. All the shit you got going on, you want to show up to the national championship game, put the whole arena in danger, knowing these people after you, bro? Well, you That's know, some selfish-ass shit. The thing is, it wasn't, That's selfish. it wasn't that he came to the arena. <laughs> and showing people that you there. That's it's some selfish that shit. he did the prom walk across the field. That's, That's some selfish shit. That's some selfish shit, But then bro. as soon as he lined up with his girl, she broke you know her hand. That, That's like... some selfish shit. You know them folk after you, bro? And you want to come to the game? Come on, don't do that, bro. That's some selfish shit, bro. Get everybody well, fucked up. Yeah, that's some selfish shit. You know how they go out of the hood? You want to run? Your kid got a party? You don't show up to the party? You don't want the fans to run up in the party and <laughs> fuck up the whole party? Well, you know, he, he did that because of where, selfish he, ass shit, where he was uh -huh. being in a, a a more friendly environment, being in Louisiana, yeah. being amongst those fans. I did the church... Put my hand up and just walk right up out of there. Excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me. I'll watch this at home. Look out here. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. I, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? 
I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. A while back, we had Stephen A. Smith on the show, and then we had aired some highlights uh, of the interview on our social media post, and you commented uh, (laughs) and kind of went back and forth with him for a minute. Tell me what that was about and your guys' relationship. So um, Stephen A. is somebody I give a lot of credit to on a lot of fronts. Uh, I think it's fair to say... He's the face of ESPN. And, um, you know, you think about somebody like, say, Stuart Scott or, or even other icons that have become that, to have a, you know, a black man that is the face of this network huge. is a huge accomplishment. And if it's true that he's the highest paid ESPN personality ever, an equally big, you know, accomplishment mm-hmm. for him, especially considering at one time he was kind of on the outs, you know, with the mm-hmm. network. So for him to have gone from that to this is is pretty special and spectacular. And when he had his own show, uh, quite frankly, Stephen A. was very purposeful in putting black journalists on the show. He spoke on that. Yeah, he, he, he gave a lot of us a platform uh, to talk about our perspective, our opinions, and just get experience doing television. And I was one of the people that regularly appeared on Quite Frankly. So I'm always uh, grateful for him for giving me that opportunity and for what he's meant in this business in terms of, you know, black journalism. So as they say, reasonable minds can differ. And I've heard some of the things that he said about Colin Kaepernick. I've been asked about it a lot. I've generally resisted um, commenting on it. I don't really like to comment on other people's opinions for the most part, especially people I used to work with. It could get awkward and Somebody might take it personally and all that kind of stuff. Sensitive. And yet, nevertheless, my ass did not follow my own advice. <laughs> and I, when I saw what he said, uh, the clip that you showed on your show, um, I was surprised on a lot of levels because Stephen A. may not still consider himself a journalist. Because I get it. Because when I did TV, I didn't either. Because I'm like, look, I'm not going to the locker rooms anymore. I'm not necessarily interviewing people outside of them being on my show. I am not... Uh, I become friends with some athletes. Like I'm not in that traditional role that I used to be in when I was a newspaper reporter. And so me and me and Mike used to always joke that we were former journalists, right? Mm-hmm. Even though that's how people saw us because we realized we were entertainers then because we were on TV every day. And so maybe he sees himself in more of a hybrid role, but it just seemed like a line was somewhat crossed by him admitting that he had spoken to or through back channels, got Colin Kaepernick a, a a workout or helped in that cause him and Jay Z, and I just thought that was a that was really interesting because on one end the network you represent is talking about how they want to stay out of politics, mm-hmm. and then on the other end you're doing this, so you're sort of like 
inserting yourself and creating the news. You know, it just mm-hmm. that's not typically the role that that we play. And I'm not here to to play Stephen A's journalism professor, but I was always under the impression that was somewhat of a no no to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that part of it, and then considering what he has said about Colin Kaepernick, then I have to wonder how personal this is to you because if you felt like it's kind of like uh if you you know let's say in a in a in a dating situation if you hook one of your homeboys up with your homegirl how much you really liked her <laughs> well you just like and you vouch for him with right. her you like nah he a good dude i know what you heard blah 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 and then he show up and he act a fool you like damn dog like yeah. you're gonna be mad right and that's not to say that colin kaepernick did anything wrong but mm-hmm. he kind of sounded that that like oh i went through these back channels hooked you up with this job mm-hmm. and then you show up in a kunta kente shirt embarrassing me in front of my family right, you know right, like, right, like, right, like, like yeah. so it's just sort of like you know i, I just thought that that contaminated his opinion personally mm-hmm. and it um you know, I, I generally kind of disagree with his perspective about Colin not wanting to play and even the whole thing with the shirt. And, and really, that tryout was the nothing but a setup. I mean, it was nothing but a setup. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the the NFL was just looking for a way and excuse to point to something where they could say, no, nah, he doesn't really want it. No and I could tell you this as a 49ers fan. I watch all of Colin Kaepernick's professional games, all of them. Nice. He looks in better shape now than he did when he was playing. Mm-hmm. And he's done, a, a, I mean, he was never out of shape, but I can see the body transformation that he do, he's done. Why would somebody who has not played in a few years keep themselves in that tip top of a shape if they were not intent on playing? Really love the game. He really does. And people have to understand something was taken from him. Right. He didn't get hurt. For no he, reason. For no reason. I know the feeling. No reason. He didn't get hurt. He didn't get cut. He didn't, you know, I mean, he eventually got cut, but you know why he got cut. But, like, he was not the one who uh, engineered his own demise. Mm-hmm. He got, essentially, his career taken from him because NFL owners are cowards. And it's right. just that simple. Two railroaded. reasons. They're cowards and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Those were the reasons. And so when I saw, you know, him sort of, um, you know, going off about, um, him not wanting it and the Kunta Kinte shirt, like he could have showed up and what you got on. They weren't letting him back in the league. Mm-hmm. These people have had his number for three years. Mm-hmm. They have not called. They have not brought him in. If they were serious, they would have brought him to the team facility right. to work out. A real one. And then that's how it's normally done. The NFL doesn't set up tryouts mm-hmm. outside of like the combine, but they don't do that. And so it was just a farce from the beginning. And so this idea that Colin Kaepernick should have, you know, kissed the NFL's ass more to get back in. It was like, so you're asking somebody who decided to take a knee to protest racial and social injustice to suddenly kiss the ass of the same people who just took his career away. It don't work like it that. Wasn't, it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. right? So um, we disagree, but I'm of the opinion, I saw this a lot of this on social media, people calling Stephen A sellouts and all that kind of stuff. That was, to me, uh, over the line. I know what Stephen A's been able to do for other mm-hmm. black journalists. Mm-hmm. And I was not in any way insinuating he was that. I just disagree with what he said. Now, I didn't want it to become some big social media thing, despite the fact that's where I originally commented. And so when he commented back, I made sure to say, hey, bro, I'm taking this off Twitter. I'll call you. Right. That way we can have a conversation and not have some you know, full fight in open view because there's nothing social media like loves more than to not just see two 
you know, personalities go back and forth, but two black people like, fighting, exactly. fighting in public, exactly. and I wasn't mm-hmm. about to do that, yeah. even though I disagree with his position. So, you know, I called him. I did call him. I left a message. I left him a text. Mm-hmm. I have yet to hear back. Well, <laughs> when, when when he said that, honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking like, <clears throat> okay, as much as you killing him, you tried to help him get a job. Like when he said it, I'm thinking like, that don't even sound right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I, I was waiting a little because we wanted him on the show to to get to know him better and 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 for people to understand him. Like we understand what he did for for us and to be here to 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 be in this game. You know, he he's he's had a lot to do with it, but at the same time. That statement threw me off too because I've seen all the stuff you said about Kaepernick. Now you're trying to help him, like it fucked me up too. So you wasn't know. <laughs> I was just a little confused at at the role, but um, you know, I mean, again, I I think that the one thing that I wish our conversations uh, could really take a step forward. I mean, conversations that are in our community that get outside the community, and you know, I know black people are always a lot of times we're of this opinion, like. You know, we can't discuss this in open view. The white people gonna see us like the white people uh, don't care about a lot of them. At don't all. care about us anyway. anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And it's not like we can meet once a month and like, hey, black people, let's all come together and discuss our internal community issues. Sometimes it spill it spills out, but I think it's really constructive. It's really not constructive, rather, when we start to have this litmus test for blackness based off disagreeing with people's opinions, right? Right. right. I mean, they're, they're, look, I ain't going to act like it's not some people out there that are operatives in right. our community. There right. are. We know who they are yeah, a lot of the time. a lot of ops out there. A lot of them, yeah. you know? And so I understand that that really does exist, but I personally am not comfortable, you know, calling black people those names in public, Coons and Uncle Toms nah. and all that. I'm like... I'm not even going there with somebody. And that's why he was comfortable coming on our show because we always have respect for each other and we, as men, should be able to, and even as a black race, we talk about this all the time, should be able to disagree without disrespecting each other. There it is. And we have a problem with that. We have a big problem with that. Yeah. It's... And it's all or nothing. Like, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't fuck with him at all now. Like, no, he just didn't say something that aligned with your... It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. You, agree you disagree. To disagree. Yeah. Right. No, it's all... I mean, and it doesn't have to... You, you don't have to... Um, indict somebody's whole record based off of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I caught a lot of flack because, you know, I wrote that I didn't agree with Jay-Z partnering with the NFL, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I felt like the NFL, and this is not to uh, demean or belittle Jay-Z's, obviously, a very astute business knowledge or that he doesn't know what he's doing, but the NFL is a different entity, and I just felt like they were using him, are using him, to regain some credibility with the black community that that they had lost because of how they treated Colin Kaepernick. They want their Super Bowl show. They don't want there to be shame associated with the halftime show anymore Mm -hmm. because the last couple years, Colin Kaepernick, what happened to him has been hanging over the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. their biggest event, and they wanted to eliminate that. And they even, you know, have the owners have talked about it um, uh, privately, which became public, you know, based off a New York Times report about how they felt like they needed a liaison to talk to us mm-hmm. and help bridge that gap uh, that was widened by Colin Kaepernick and Hello Jay Z. So I just felt like there was the NFL was playing a game where they could shift the focus off what they did and shift it on whatever. You know, uh, darts, Jay-Z took a ball, mm-hmm. right? And suddenly it's like they care about social justice issues, which they didn't before Colin Kaepernick anyway. Right. So it's just they're just playing this magnificent game of chess, and I just felt like he got caught up in that. And he, he rapped about it. He said he didn't need them. 
right? Because mm-hmm. yep. he said they're going to need him. Yeah. And they did. Right. And I didn't think he should have gave them the leverage. But, and uh, how, can, but how can you take the next step? Because that's all you, the videos kept saying with Jay-Z saying, well, what's the next step? Let's not talk about kneeling. What's the next step? Well, how are you going to get to the next step without Kaepernick? Well, the next step... I he think, should be involved. Kaepernick should be involved. Oh, he should definitely be involved. But the next step... Um, and this has always been, I think, the difficult part of of seeing this movement that was created around Colin Kaepernick. It was an individual decision that became a movement. It was always meant to be an individual decision, you mm-hmm. know. And it became a movement. Other people got inspired. That's fine. And I understand that even with the Players Coalition uh, that received the money from the NFL for various social justice causes, they're looking for an end in sight. I do understand that and get that, that there has to be an end point to this. But the next steps had kind of already been in place. Jay-Z's done a lot of magnificent social justice work. The Trayvon Martin documentary, the Khalif Browder documentary, all he's done in the community. His record is unquestioned in that area. So that had already taken place. Colin Kaepernick had been taking next steps, Mm -hmm. what he's doing to get felons re-entered into society, giving them clothes to interview uh, in the Know Your Rights camp, teaching young people about their rights when it comes to the legal system and uh, and the police. Already in motion. You don't need the NFL for any of that. Mm -hmm. The next steps that the NFL has to address has been a hot-button issue in the offseason. Why don't you have more black coaches? Why don't you have more black GMs? Those are things the NFL directly has control over. They can't do shit about police brutality. Mm -hmm. That's not really their role. But they can do something about what their league looks like and why they've never had a black owner. Mm -hmm. That's on them. Mm -hmm. And if he was going to apply any pressure to them, it should have been about those things Mm -hmm. and not about the social justice stuff, which essentially, to me, was uh, efforts that he didn't need their help on necessarily. I mean, it's good to have it, yes, but he didn't need them. They needed his credibility, not the other way around. Right, right. How has social media affected journalism? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Where do I get started? I know. Where do I start? I mean, I I try not to be so pessimistic about it, but it's drastically changed our profession. Um, You know, there used to be, and the the media was never perfect, but I came up as a journalist when there wasn't social media, and there was a shame that went along with getting something wrong about somebody you were writing about, whether it be their name, a fact, like you were embarrassed when that happened because you couldn't just go online and correct it. The paper had to run a full-scale correction the next day, so you had to live with that mistake being there in that that edition's paper. Um, and so now there's not a lot of accountability. Uh, we're in the age of corporate media. Mm-hmm. The size of the media is shrinking, and it's owned by fewer people. And as a result, they are trying to turn media and journalism into a for-profit business. And much like any other businesses, they're trying to make as much money as possible, as cheaply as possible, and it's affected the product. It's not a lot of mainstream media outlets that can be committed from a financial standpoint to really doing good journalism. And that's why you see some of the mistakes you see, some of the um, stories that get written that are a little more salacious. Um, There are things now that are able to be printed and tweeted and all that kind of thing that um, would never have stood 20 years ago. Uh, there's a rush to be first and not right. Right. That's mm-hmm. my a, main thing, a, yeah. being first big, and right. Yeah. yeah, they they are good with being first and wrong mm-hmm. and because there's really no repercussions for right. it, right? And mm-hmm. so that part greatly concerns me. The misinformation concerns me. Um, you know, not to go all conspiracy theory on everybody, but people have to understand with everything we saw in the last election with 
Facebook's rolling this, social media's mm. rolling this, mm. is that most people these days, uh, unlike kind of, I think, probably from the age we were all from, they are looking to reaffirm their beliefs through media as opposed to neutrally being told the information and then coming to a conclusion. You know, it's a reason why certain networks, you know what their political slant is, and that's why they watch it, because they want somebody else to just reinforce what they already think. If that's... You said it. <laughs> so if they already think that way, it's like then they're happy to traffic in misinformation. And so I worry about, you know, people's ability to decipher what is fake and That's what is true. Real. A Facebook meme will go around and people will take that as the truth in a minute. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah, I mean, I remember during the, the Kaepernick stuff when that meme got around about Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow took a knee and nobody did anything. And that totally wasn't what he was doing. He was praying in the end zone and mm-hmm. somebody took the, the image and said that he was taking a knee um, for pro-life rights. And it's, But that people thought that was true. And mm-hmm. I saw that hundreds of times. And that's what happens nowadays. One bit of information gets out about you. And if it circulates enough, nobody sticks around to see if it's correct or not. Oh, we've been labeled like that plenty of times. Yeah, I was like, I know I'm preaching to the choir over here. Being a leader in the industry, what kind of challenges have come with that? Being a black female in this space, but also being a leader. Um, Well, I think, um, you know, kind of one of the challenges. One thing they know, you ain't taking no shit. (laughs) They know know that now. When you walk in that building, you better come correct. It don't come at all. Yeah, I guess I am sort of getting that reputation, but... um. (laughs) That's solid, though. Welcome to to the club. I know, right? (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I, I think a lot of the things I've gone through are just relatable to like black people everywhere. Um, being held sometimes to a different standard, um, being scrutinized differently. Um, you know, certainly when you're a woman in sports, a lot of a lot of people think that you're there, um, you know, just to get a husband or mm. you know to date somebody. And uh, I, that's why I hate in movies when they always have that storyline of the reporter hooking up with the athlete. It's so annoying. Because um, <laughs> I'm like, that's not what we're all in there for. So um, I'm not saying it has never happened. What I am saying is like that's really not the mission. So um, you know, you just have to live with the fact that you'll be doubted. That they're going to come at you a different way than they would a man. And people seem to think that sports knowledge is directly related to genitalia, and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, so those are, you know, dealing with those doubts are something uh, that I feel like most black people experience, regardless of what your you know, profession is. But it can be doubly worse when you're a black woman because you then have to deal with the narrative that we're angry, combative, uh, you know, if we assert ourselves, it's viewed totally different than if a white dude does it. It's just Gabby. Gabby faced that. Gabrielle uh, Union faced the whole totally thing. Totally did. It's like, okay, she stood up for something that, frankly, anybody should have stood up for. But she's labeled as But a now she's a troublemaker. Now she's difficult. And so, you know, we have to deal with, or I've certainly had to deal with some of that, you know, as well. And um, it does get taxing. It is... Some days, you know, you you wonder how much fight you have left in you. But for me, what always keeps me going, and this is that leadership part that comes with it, this isn't about me anymore. It has ceased to be about me for a long time. This is about the younger journalists of color who are looking at me. Next. And, yeah, it's about who's next. And it's not just about me getting them through the door. I have to make through when they get through the door, it's a safe place for them. Mm -hmm. And so I can't be at work anymore in working environments where I can't not just speak my mind, but I can't get them to culture correct if there's a problem. Um, So, I mean, that's kind of all that I'm in it for. And 
because uh, again, the numbers look real sad, and it's changing how the news and how we as a as a culture and community are perceived when you have a number of journalists who do not look like you covering mm. people that they have really no connection or contact with or have never had any, it greatly changes how they're perceived. And so, you know, it's like just a small example. That's why in this opioid crisis, you're seeing all these sympathetic stories about treatment, not saying they shouldn't be there, but they should. They didn't cover a crack epidemic mm. that way. It was <laughs> law and order, send y'all to jail, you know. Sorry. Deal with it. Deal Sorry. with it, come raid this community, take away everything. You know, that's that's that was the picture of the coverage. Reality, yeah. That was right. reality. Bad people. Right. Bad people. They don't deserve your sympathy. You know, and it's a lot of times why the coverage of us is often not only it lacks sympathy and empathy and compassion, it lacks humanity. Mm-hmm. Like covering us like we're not even human. You know what I mean? And so um, the only way that could change is that it has to be more of us not only in the business, but more of us in decision-making roles. We know you got to get out of here soon. Um, we just want to touch on a couple more things. Sure. What are your thoughts about uh, female assistant coaches and, and that phenomenon growing in the NBA? Um, I think it's great. I mean, obviously. And uh, I think a lot of the teams see a lot of the benefit. But if I may pivot, I think the, the thing you have to – that we have to be concerned about, look at the WNBA and look at – and even in, in women's college basketball – Look at the lack of black female head coaches. That's a real problem out there. And They'll give black male NFL, NBA players WNBA jobs, but they won't give them NBA jobs. There you go. And that, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, okay, and, and you know, before, I mean, people always question, is it a pipeline issue? Like, it's just not enough. Something like over 85% of black female college basketball players get their degrees. It's an extraordinarily high number, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't say because it's not qualified. Right. They got their degrees because they used to use that to hold that against black men in college basketball and in other spaces saying, well, y'all didn't get y'all degrees. That That's why you're not able to coach or able mm-hmm. to get this athletic director position and all that. But they can't say that with them. And the numbers still look like what they, what they look like. Mm-hmm. They go... You know, it's like they're giving white women, white men, black men jobs. Black women are not represented at the coaching uh, position in the WNBA. So Mm -hmm. I think that needs to be addressed. Um, But I'm happy in general to see Sue Bird and Becky Hammond and and, uh, all those players be able to come and and give their knowledge of the game. Um, And I, I think it shows why the NBA has always been a little bit more progressive. Well, basketball, period, I think, has lent itself to seeing more progressive, um, you know, kind of approaches happening. Because ball is just ball when it comes down to it, mm-hmm. right? I don't understand is how, how you going to make a coach that the NBA players didn't like, Derek Fisher, and you're going to make force the girls to like him. Like, the guys don't even like him. <laughs> now you're going to send them over there to try to coach them? I don't get it. And then second of all, on another note about, so about the WNBA, they're getting paid now. Yes. I'm happy they're getting paid now. Like I said earlier, I'd rather watch Ty Young play than Otto Porter. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad they're getting their money now. What you think about that? Well, um, I want people to understand that it was never, and it, m- many of them that you talk to will tell you this, it was never about their number one pick getting the same as LeBron James. It was never about that. Right. What they wanted was a big percentage, a bigger percentage of what they were bringing in. And, and that's only right. That's only right. And... 
I think that WBA had no choice because you can't have somebody like Brianna Struer going overseas and getting hurt right. and then missing the season. Right. You taking mm-hmm. money out your pocket mm-hmm. and they're going overseas because they need to supplement their to. income. You they have to. A lot of people don't understand these women have to go play overseas or get another job because what they're getting paid is nothing. It's not enough. So it's great that now every every woman in the league will make six figures, maternity leave. These are basic things that they've earned the right to have. And so... Um, I think it's an amazing step for this league to take, and they can be a real model. And what I've always appreciated is how NBA players support the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Like, and just generally love women's college basketball and, and, and women's basketball, period. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a dope relationship, you know, between um, kind of the two sports. So, like, you know, when we were talking about the coaches, you know, ball is ball. It's like, I think y'all y'all recognize a real one when y'all see one. Exactly. And it doesn't exactly. really matter the, the gender, so... I'm happy that they're at a point now where maybe you'll see fewer of them go overseas because they don't want to spend years in Russia. Like, they'd rather play here in front of the fans. Shout out to Razi. So Razi was the first one to do it. Y'all don't want to pay me? I'm going to go back home, get a meal ticket, then come back and play. That's what she did. So <laughs> shout out not, to Razi. I mean, people don't really, I feel like we appreciate our off season so much. Mm. Like, they don't get it all. They go no. from this their short season to a long-ass But just imagine season. the ones that's full-time mom. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. That's crazy. I no know. breaks. No breaks. Last question, uh, NBA Finals picks and who wins it? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I know, I know. Uh, it, it, it's funny because it was. I went through a period this season where I was like, oh, man, this thing is really wide open. And I was like, oh, shit, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's tightening by the day. It's, it's tightening by the day. I'm like, all right. Uh, it is pretty hard um, to go against the Lakers. but The Clippers can. I'm going to be that person. I was just about to say, I I like the Clippers better than the Lakers. And I feel like their pieces really mesh together. I think they have more depth. I think they have the kind of defensive attitude that they definitely have that. lends itself to winning t- uh, championships, winning mm-hmm. playoff series. Um, it will be the fate of the apocalypse if the Clippers lose, if the Clippers beat the Lakers in the Western, in the Western Finals. Like here, I mean, we're in LA. Uh, I'm like, ooh. oh my God. I'm just worried about the Clippers because you got their own players saying, man, we're not as good as we think we are because they've been losing some bullshit games. It's, but it's, you know, it's, the, it's, it's early. The, it's the dog run right now. It's there. early. Yeah, they so you, so that's the case, you can't count the times they beat the Lakers. I'm not oh. counting anyway. Like none of that really you matters. Can't do I mean, that. We know as players to you know, I'm we going know like as players, we know you know, it starts kinda after the all star break. So that's when you kinda really start looking in and kinda mm-hmm. seeing what kind of team. But back to you. Yeah, so you no, got, no, you got I, I got the Clippers out. and Milwaukee. And who wins? Um Are the Clippers getting their first one? <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna say the Bucks. Ooh, okay. I'm gonna say the Bucks. He okay. better win because if he don't, he He's out of there. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's part of why I'm, maybe I'm I'm kind of yeah. rooting for this to happen. I mean, he may win one and still be out, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, look, I realize that you know at this point you kind of have like three or four teams that have emerged. I don't think Houston's gonna make it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know it is it is kind of tough, especially with everything that they that they've gone through. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, right now, whenever I watch man, it's like. The Clippers, the Lakers, Milwaukee, they, they passed that eye test, you know, to me. So, I don't know. It'd be a, a cool story. You know, you had Toronto win it last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, now Milwaukee. And, Milwaukee. You know I mean, that'll be cool. pretty special, I think. So. Well, that's a wrap. We want to thank our guests for oh, your time. Thank you, we guys. We appreciate, appreciate you it. so much. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, you know, I, I love you guys. I love that you're, the fact that you're doing this. 
And I couldn't think of two people who were more suited to do something Thank like this. Slower. Sit Thank down, you. have honest conversations, and to talk shit with people. This, this means is, a lot this coming from you. <laughs> means a lot coming from you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. We Thank appreciate you. everything you've done and, and stand for. So thank you. And we got her back. So <laughs> when the shit starts, just know we coming. All the motherfuckers smoke. All of it. <laughs> all of it. That's a wrap. Catch us. Showtime basketball YouTube. All the smoke. And on all platforms, streaming podcasts. All of them. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. We're hearing that some of the Warriors may have already made a decision not to attend a potential White House visit. Why have you decided that this is something you really want to make a big statement about? Well, I don't want to go. That's really... <laughs> In your life's blueprint, you must have the determination to achieve excellence. If you're in a racist society and you're being discriminated against, it's up to you to do something for yourself. Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Is there any regret that you got into a name-calling situation with the president? No. Always feel that he's Always feel that he's Black athletes were supposed to be the workers, not the owners. They were supposed to be the talent and never the power brokers. Always feel that you have worth. It's so much more than a game. It's a vehicle to push positive social change. And always feel that life. At some point, you have to look in the mirror and say, am I part of the problem? Am I part of the solution? who stood up every step along the way 
They're the ones who are the true heroes in our world. At that time, it was never acceptable that a black player was the best. When you discover what you're gonna be in life, set out to do it as a God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Recognize where you come from and your background and what people have done for you to get there, you're gonna get inspired by it and you're gonna do right, period. Set out to do a good job and do 